welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and returning to the show today is Dr. Serena Sterling, a clinical psychologist and certified life coach specializing in using mind-body stress reduction techniques to help patients recover from emotional and physical pain. Welcome. Thank you. Serena, welcome back to the show. I'll reintroduce you here. Um, Dr. Sterling is a clinical psychologist who earned her degree at the California Institute of Integral Studies in San Francisco. She elected to become a certified life coach as opposed to going on to clinical psychology for a number of reasons. And she's learning a number of mind-body stress reduction modalities to help people with physical and emotional pain feel better fast. Although she specializes in helping people with chronic pain and medically unexplained symptoms, she also helps athletes recover from injuries and overcome sports performance issues. She sees people in person in Portland, Oregon, but also sees people remotely all over the world. So Serena, welcome back to the show. And I'm excited to have you on the show for lots of reasons, with the main one being that you're a resource that um, my patients can find. I mean, what you do is exactly what we've been doing here. And so we discussed in the first podcast about your approach of calming people down, identifying emotions that change the body's chemistry, which create physical symptoms. We talked about your own personal story, which is quite intense, but I want to really focus, take the time to focus on what you, you talked about most issues boil down to relationship issues. And I'm curious how you came to that conclusion, but also what keeps you going on that pathway. I, I feel like over the course of doing this for 10 years that I started to see a common theme of it always, all the, all the emotions, all the, the root cause comes down to some sort of relationship, whether it's a relationship with someone's spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, or their family, it's not just in the present, but it's the stories that people, that we all do, we all make up stories. And then we decide that those stories are true. And then we convince ourselves that they're true and they're, but they're stories from our past of like how we grew up and how we interact with our families and, you know, our first relationships are with our families. And then those interactions get transferred to the relationships we have in our present. Well, it's interesting about that comment. And this is something that Dr. Schubert taught me about three years ago. There's a book out of, out of New England called How Emotions Are Made by Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. And she's one of the top leading neuroscientists in the world. And what she has found out that thoughts and emotions become embedded in our brain the same way a chair or a table does. And so when I have to... <laughs> If I ever rewrite my book, which I really don't have the time to do, is that I used to say that thoughts are real because they create chemical reactions in the body, but they're not reality. That's actually not true. Your program background is your version of reality, and it's just as concrete as this computer here. Mm -hmm. And so we create these stories, and as they become embedded, that actually becomes our reality. And so, of course, the family of origin is a really critical starting point, and then they keep playing out in different ways the rest of your life. And so we found out in the last few years of my practice that the family issues were just huge. We could do all these other different techniques, but if we didn't address the family dynamics, we would, do, we, we would be sabotaged. But conversely, by addressing family dynamics, people came out of the hole so quickly, it was unbelievable. But we were also able to rescue the whole family at the same time. 
That, that's what that was remarkable. And I quit my practice before I really get to play that out a little bit more. But I'm excited. So a, a lot of your protests to do with, well, it sounds like most of your approaches have to do with some identifying some relationship that may be a trigger. Is that a fair statement? Yes, definitely. And let's say I came to your practice and um, we talked about in the first episode how these migratory skin rashes and I'm obviously a master repressor. <laughs> and how would you approach my situation? Uh, what is the symptom you're coming to me with? Um, I've got these skin rashes popping up my whole body. I've got migraine headaches. My ears are ringing. My feet are burning. That type of okay. thing. Okay. Well, first I would establish, develop rapport with you, make you okay. feel safe, comfortable talking to me. Um, but also I would then, I would focus on the symptom as my entryway. That's okay. just the entry. It's not, um, I'm looking for the root cause. So I'm going to be assessing for what's underneath all of this. And so I would ask, I would basically have you think about the rash or if you had some, you know, if you were having a headache at the time, if you were having any sort of physical symptom at the time, I would have you hold wherever that was. So if it was a you know, shoulder pain or if it was the rash, I'd just have you focus on that one thing. And then I would use, you know, I'd use this like um, this muscle testing, asking your body, okay, is there an emotional connection? I have ways of finding that out. There are emotional points on your forehead, for example. Um, I'm connecting this to some principles from Chinese medicine as well. Okay. And so the organs in Chinese medicine, they all correspond to different emotions. So then I would say we're using the rash, for example. I'd have you think about that or like focus on, you know, if you can see it. And then I'm asking to see if there's an emotional connection, I find one, and then I find the category that you're responding to. So it's kind of like, you know, death and taxes. It's like, well, there are three categories in life, money, love, and you, all the roles you play. And I find out, for example, I find out that it has to do with love. And then I find out the category of love. So anyone you've ever loved, anyone who's ever loved you, category that this comes from your family of origin, your mom, your dad, your siblings, you know, or the family you have now, your self-created family. And then from there, so let's say it's um, let's say it's due to your your dad, and um, then I find out okay, what's the emotion around this? And I'm testing again, and I'm finding finding the organ you're corresponding to in, in Chinese medicine. Now, when you say testing, we do like with um, physical examination or touch or pushing or needle. Um, I'm testing on myself um okay. if i were in person it would have been like touching your arm it's okay. kind of like the idea of like if you if i had a pack of cigarettes that i had you hold them up to your lungs that would weaken your system and the same right. can be said for thoughts and beliefs um if you think something really scary it's going to weaken your system right right and again we talked about that mental threat is a bigger problem than physical threat we briefly mentioned uh, medical unexplained symptoms how illogical that is and then I haven't told this to you, I'm not being negative here, but I don't use the word mind body syndrome anymore. I also don't use the word neurophysiological disorder, disorder anymore because it's just a unit. I mean, you can't fly a Boeing jet without a computer and your body can't run without a nervous system. And your nervous system, of course, can't be supported without your body to support it. So it's just a unit response, it's just your body response environment as a unit. And you just said the magic word to me, multiple times in these interviews is root cause. What we're doing in medicine, we're just treating symptoms. You have a rash, let's use Benadryl. And, but the root cause is what happened in your environment. In other words, we all survive by responding to, to the environment in a way that keeps us safe. 
And so that fires up the nervous system, fires up your immune system, metabolism, et cetera. So those are all fired up in response to a threat. And when the threat is sustained, it actually destroys the tissues and creates symptoms. Then if you're not allowed to feel or repress an emotional threat, it'll manifest in physical symptoms, but it's all the same thing. So we found out that cardiovascular disease and anxiety are both inflammatory disorders. They're the same thing. All chronic disease is the same thing. So that's what the tools do. You can't always get rid of the threat if you're in a situation that you just simply can't escape, but there are ways of processing the threat and dropping down the inflammatory response that are very effective. So I'm still fascinated about the whole family connection here because we, we do get programmed by our past and always plays out in the future. And so, okay, so I have skin, these skin rashes and if you were a doctor, you would, you would have already given me some Benadryl and set me out the door, but you're not doing that. Um, so what are some, what are some of the some things that you would do with me? So I would find what emotion you've repressed in the present and who it connects to. Um, it seems to connect to a person that is of importance. And oftentimes it, it could be that you're thinking of someone that um, makes you react a certain way, or it could okay. be that you're reacting a certain way because of these emotions, but you've repressed them. So it goes to the unconscious. And then how, like, I have so many smart clients that come my way and I tell them, if you had already figured this out, like if you knew what it was, you would have figured it out by now, but right. it's unconscious. So how do we figure it? That's why a lot of the, the protocols just write about it. Writing is so phenomenal, but if you don't know what to be writing about, then how do you figure out that underneath thing, you know? No, you no, know, we see writing is so phenomenal. What do you mean by that? Well, I feel like we we think thousands of thoughts a day. Right. Um, and sometimes we get into these mind loops and we just keep ruminating about the same thing. And we don't think it's a problem, but you know, like just like we were saying, thoughts are things. They're actually tangible things, but they're in our mind. We can't touch them or see them but they affect how we feel. So if right. we keep thinking the same thoughts over and over again, and they're making us feel sad or frustrated or any things over time, that can also affect our physiology. So if you do a mind dump onto paper or your computer and just start writing, then you can make, I, I sometimes can't figure things out until I write about them. Right. Um, and as you know, with the doc project, the expressive writing is the number one thing, but I just wanna go back to the thoughts thing for a second. So if somebody walked into my room right now, with a club tip me over the head, what would happen to my body? They, ha I haven't been hit in the head. I'm not physically, you know, I'm not. So the thought that this person might walk in the room, even the person doesn't have a club, some stranger walks through the door, even if the stranger was well-intentioned for whatever reasons, they came to warn me about something, that the thought that they might hurt me, of course, creates this physiological reaction. And so, okay, so now I, you found out that I have, <clears throat> troubles with um, this person's colleague of mine who resembles my brother who bullied me. By the way, mm -hmm. I was I was not bullied by my brothers, but just for example, so I was bullied by one of my siblings. And so now I have this friend that reminds me of that person. So I identify the fact that, okay, skin rashes pop up when I think about this person. What do, what do you do next with that? Well, I think that identifying that that that's even a thing, that that's, you're making the connection is huge. I think that's a huge healing factor to make that connection because, you know, just giving you Benadryl never figured that out. So right. 
that's number one, but I also would be able to figure out what emotion you're having around that. Is it sadness or longing or frustration or what are, what is the emotion? And then I delve into it more deeply and ask you, so why does that bother you? Like, what's the worst thing about that fact that you feel resentment towards this colleague because he reminds you of your brother who bullied you? Like what's, so what, let's figure that out. And then if there is an earlier event, then I would go back to your past using the muscle testing and asking these questions of your body. Okay, so you know what what happened where there is this feeling of resentment towards someone that bullied you and you felt, you know, fill in the blank, helpless, powerless, whatever. And it could have been 10 years ago, could have been like when you're five, and we find out, okay, and it's that is kind of the, the crazy thing in this technique is that your body just remembers these, you know, you, you have so many memories that you've had right. in your lifetime and it just comes down to like okay so when i was five years old my older brother or my best friend decided to bully me and i felt victimized or i felt whatever and so we would take you back to that time and i i help you process those emotions of like okay tell me more about that and then you really sink into it and you feel it then because for whatever reason you didn't maybe you had to repress that back then there is no place of safety. There is no place of expressing like, this is unfair. I don't know why this is happening to me. Um, right. And so, okay, so the person's, okay, this you have to work with this person every day who's a person who resembles, remembers the bullying thing at this. Just the awareness of, this, of that connection help detoxify it. In other words, um, I'm going to work with the same person. I can't mm -hmm. quit my job. Right. Is it able to be sustained once they sort of create that link? I think that it takes off the emotional charge quite a okay. bit, but I think that, you know, you can't change other people, but you can change your reaction to other people. Right. So then I may help you figure out different tools that you could use so that you're not as affected, or there might be ways of understanding why this person is treating you a certain way, how, why you're reacting that way and how to change your reactions and how to then interact with this person in a way that makes you feel less threatened. So by using these, what, what are some of the tools that you, um, that you use to help? So I'm going to work the next day. I've got to deal with this person who maybe happens to be my boss and I'm, I'm triggered. So I feel the symptoms coming back. What might I do in that moment to sort of calm down? I would say in the beginning uh, that I, the understanding that you can always leave a situation is very powerful okay. because I think a, a lot of people just assume they just have to stick it out and you may have to, so boundaries. I feel like a lot of people who tend to repress don't know boundaries. I had no okay. idea what boundaries were when I got to grad school. I had, it was, what are boundaries? This is something like in the around me. <laughs> so, um, so I think that if you create boundaries and you figure out, I mean, I think with a boss, it, it may be a lot more difficult than say a colleague, but right. there may be different ways to, to speak up for yourself, because I think that that's a big time where that's, that's how repression happens. If you don't speak right. up for yourself, you just take it. Right. Um, so if you just, you know, find ways to talk about the situation and, and find ways to stick up for yourself so that you feel empowered rather than you feel like you just have to deal with whatever someone tells you and treats you a certain way. Right. And do you find out for the most parts your clients are able to implement these tools reasonably well? Yes. I think they're I looking like for tools. Correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but 
I want to point out one factor is that, um, and again, I'm a huge fan of psychology, but this is a different type of psychology in that you, you create an awareness, but a lot of psychologists feel like you just understand the problem in a huge amount of depth that it solves the problem. And my contention is about watching the reaction, becoming aware of the trigger, but you can't fix it. I mean, you can leave the situation, of course, but you're using tool, you teach people tools to actually move forward as opposed to trying to fix the past. Is that a fair statement? Right. And that's where I feel like my psychology training has really informed my decisions, but I have a huge problem with psychology because there's a lot of insight, but no action. So okay, that's, that's an excellent summation of it. I, I, that was really well said. Okay. So can you explain how that insight came around and what, what moved you forward? Probably it was due to my own therapy of being like, yeah, this is really interesting, but this puts me back in intellectualizing everything and I can figure things out. I can analyze things, but I'm not doing anything about this. And the situation is still the same. So what do I do with this? Whereas I had also had a number of years of coaching with someone and she was always pushing me out of my comfort zone. And that's to me where change happens. You can't just identify things and be like, Oh, that, that guy is a, you know, blah, 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 because of these reasons. Great. Like you have, to me, in my own experience, and that now I've seen it with my clients too, once you take action and do choose to show up differently and do something differently, that's when you get different results. Right, nice. So can you go back, you, you point out that <clears throat> your, your teens and 20s, you had very high standards for yourself. It sounds like put on you by society and people around you. Um, how's that play into this whole repressed emotion thing? Because I you missed the word not knowing about boundaries. And so you're a very accomplished person, very high standards, quote, I'll use the word, is perfectionist a fair statement to put on you back yes, then? Absolutely. Okay. So and we have these round tables on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we jokingly call ourselves a perfectionist club. But um, you get really high standards, which are sort of deadly in the big picture, because if you're always beating yourself up mentally, you don't have boundaries. And so I'm curious how you think that plays into your symptoms, your fatigue symptoms and arthritis and how that plays out now with your clients? I, I, I actually have a client who's a medical doctor and he's so smart and, and yet I see it play out with him too. It's kind of like he's constantly pushing himself to, to do more, to strive more, to, but he, and he sees himself as not being this amazing person that I see him as. And I think it would be the same way we all have these amazing gifts. And I grew up in this family that was, you know, my dad would quiz me on the eight Ivy League colleges um, growing up. Would quiz you? To see like, okay, there's Cornell, there's Columbia, you know, Penn, hoping that I would get into one of them. And I didn't get into any of them. I went to Reed College in Portland, Oregon, which is still a good school, but it's not an Ivy League. My brother right. went to an Ivy League. My brother got an MBA, JD from Penn Law, Wharton Business School. Like those are the top schools in the country. Right. And it was kind of like, I always felt like I was second best somehow, even though right. I have a master's in journalism, a doctor in psychology. And somehow that still makes me feel like I'm falling short. Right. Um, because these standards we have in our families or from society make us feel like we have to do more. But you know, I, I look at some people who don't have the same educational degrees and they're probably a lot happier because right. 
they somehow have figured out that that's not important. That what's important is like our relationships and how we interact with the world. And they're not in pain. They're, they don't right. have physical symptoms. Right. Well, the big part we also find out with healing with the doc journey is um, helping people to. So you talk about boundaries. So boundaries means you don't feel safe. And so when you drop your boundaries, you feel vulnerable. And we find out that people can't give up their pain because they don't have the space to feel vulnerable. And that's why people can't give up their anger or give up their pain because they're not comfortable feeling vulnerable. And it sounds like that's a lot of the work that you do is allowing people actually to feel. And again, since emotional pain is just as threatening as physical pain, it hurts. When you feel emotional pain, it actually hurts. So um, would you mind in the last few minutes here just sharing a story or two about um, some of the people you worked with that sort of illustrate the point? I mean, your story is incredibly compelling. So I, I would encourage the audience to listen to the first, pod, first podcast that Sweeney told about her own chronic fatigue syndrome. Within a month, she's, she really just healed. But again, it's about changes in the body's chemistry. So anyway, I'm just curious if you had another story you could share with us. Uh, yes, I have, I have someone that I worked with who had developed pain in her psoas. And all, she went to all these different doctors. Can you explain so what it is? Explain what that is, by the way, where the psoas is. The psas, well, you would probably know more <laughs> where it is, but it's, well, you know, it's in the it's abdomen. Gro it's, groin, it's groin pain. Yeah. Yeah, pain, it's, pain. It's painful. It's, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and she had no idea why it was there, but she'd seen the psychiatrist. She saw chiropractor, acupuncturist, you know, you name it, PT, did all the things. And then um, I was like, well, let's just see what we can do. And within the first session, it turned out that she, it, was, it, it had to do with her boyfriend that she was living with and she was um, making her life with, but she knew deep down that he wasn't the one, capital T, capital O, like right. she, he wasn't the one. And, and she also was, had taken on this job as a receptionist at a medical clinic, but that was just a placeholder. She wanted to do something more. And so once she figured out that he's not going to be long-term, she split up with him and she also decided to apply for naturopathy school. And as a result of no deciding that he wasn't the one and he she was just kind of settling in a way, the pain went away. So that's another a relationship issue. Right. And again, what we don't know, I mean, this is a very consistent story. And what would happen, I don't know if you saw an orthopedic surgeon, but what we're now doing, which I get really upset about again, with um, hip arthroscopy. She, so what happens now with a lot of groin pain, um, they now do what's called hip arthroscopy where they put a scope into the hip joint and they trim up what's called the labrum, which is just a lining around the edge of the hip. And it's not on a weight bearing surface. And so we don't know how many people without pain have the labral tears versus the ones that do. But again, we're so focused on structural issues. I'm sure there's a high chance you could see in a surgeon had a hip arthroscopy. And what we do know when you have procedures in the presence of untreated chronic pain, it often makes the pain worse. And so again, we, what we don't know is why does she have groin pain? Somebody else have headaches, somebody else has skin rashes. That we don't know, but we do know that repressed emotions will manifest as physical symptoms with pain just being one of the many symptoms. So again, I love what you do. I mean, I can't tell you how in line it is with what I've been doing for a long time. And again, it comes down to threat versus safety. And you can create safety physically by changing relationships, changing jobs, 
But you also can create safety by using tools that actually help calm yourself down and let things go. So it's a way of processing stress, as you mentioned earlier, but also allows you to feel safe. So I really appreciate this very much. So can you spend a little bit of time? I want to make sure people really have full access to your services because you said you had written a book. Could you talk about the book just for a second? Yes, uh, I wrote it. <clears throat> it's part It's part my own personal story of developing arthritis when I was younger due to my reactions from my high-performing family and feeling like I repressed everything. And other stories, my 9-11 story is in there of developing chronic fatigue and healing from that. And I also have a number of client case stories and it all, the, the title of the book is Pain, A Love Story, because I believe that love and being heard and seen can be, might be the most powerful force out there and it can change your physiology. Absolutely. And you see the book is released now or it's not quite yet released? It's getting there. It will be by the end of the year, maybe, or early next year. Okay, so it's not up on the Amazon or anything? Not yet. Okay, got it. Okay, then also can you give us her, her, she lives in Portland, but she also does telemedicine all over the world. And one of the reasons she became a life coach instead of a psychologist, she does have her doctorate. And so could you give us our, your contact information about how to get a hold of you? Yes. So you can go to my website, drserenasterling.com, and you can also sign up for a 20-minute consult. It's all that's complimentary. That's free, so that we can I can get to know you a little bit better, and you can I can find out you know what someone may be dealing with and see if it's a good fit. Perfect. You know, I do have another somatic psychologist with a little bit different background, Kendra, as you know, Kendra Bloom, who's in Arizona, but um, she also provides the same services, but she is full. And so I'm delighted to have somebody right now that still has a little bit of capacity to work with. And so this is a tremendous resource and please consider taking advantage of it. And if you have any, if you lose contact of how to get a hold of her, like please get a hold of me. We would be delighted to get you in contact with her. So Sharina, thank you very, very much for being on the show. This is wonderful and appreciate thank it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Serena Sterling for being on the show today and explaining in detail the principles of her approach to treating patients with chronic pain. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.